Well, I'm well into my fourth decade of walking with the Lord, and there's been asked before, you know, what are the disappointments? In my relationship with the Lord, I've not been disappointed. I've learned a lot about Him. Probably one of the biggest disappointments actually in the ministry has to do with the people who have turned away from the Lord. They, um, pastors that have fallen, brothers, sisters that once were on fire and just filled with zeal for the Lord. Something come, happens, they experience something, and the next thing you know, they've made shipwreck. And I think that's, that's the hardest thing when you see people turning away for usually lame excuses and reasons. Offenses happen. Jesus said that they would and that we would have to learn how to, to walk through them. What's amazing is, you know, even some of the most godly people the most fervent servants get offended by what God allows or doesn't allow. Think of John the Baptist. He just being faithful, he gets locked up. And he hears that Jesus is not ministering the way he was. You know, he's sort of isolated himself, very rigid guy, filled with the Holy Spirit, tremendous boldness. I mean, this guy can bring it, right? makes people unhappy sometimes because he steps on toes, stepped on Herod's toes and his girlfriend didn't like it, got him locked up. And while he's there, he sees Jesus seems to be having a really good time, going to parties, <laughs> hanging around sinners. What's up with this? And how do we know he was offended? Because Jesus said so. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. Not a, there's none greater than John the Baptist. He, you know, put, he told us that he was a great, a great man, a great servant of God. But he was offended because it wasn't working out in his preconceived idea how he thought it should go. And that's is really uh, what we have to guard against as as believers. That our expectations of what you know. Well, I thought he had to be careful with that. It's not really what we think, right? It's what God says. It's what God, God's perspective. That's why we always are seeking his heart and seeking his mind. And so it's really kind of no different here uh, as we are breaking into the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Galatians, as I indicated the time last, or in our last meeting. Uh, this is Paul's first letter. Uh, I'm not real sure exactly how far along and how old some of these churches were, but they were old enough for those Judaizers, those who, who were trying to combine faith in Jesus with the law of Moses to make that the requirement for salvation, it, those churches were alive and, and uh, functioning and operating as the body of Christ in those local areas. They had been there long enough for these people to come along and, and sort of seek to rip these guys off, rip these churches off from what they had been taught. And so there's a tremendous amount of emotion there are those who think, well, you know, pastors shouldn't be so emotional. They shouldn't have so much passion sometimes. Well, he, he, he sh 
Why? Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we care? That, that's where it comes from, right? Because you, you get uh, upset with your family members if they're going sideways because you care. You, you speak into their lives because you care. And if you didn't love them, you would just say, well, you know, that's your choice. You suffer for it, you know. You just let them roll with it. But we care, so we say th- things. And so Paul's taking that stand, and we're going to pick it up here in verses 6, uh, hopefully through 17 here tonight. Uh, and, and see how Paul dealt with what was going on inside him towards those that he loved, those that he cared about. And verse 6 says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what you have preached to you, let him be accursed. And have, as we have said before, and so we say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So, I marvel. Paul's marvel. What have you done? Sounds like a parent talking to a child, walking into the room and, oh my goodness, what have you done? What are you doing, Junior, you know? But there's a little more intensity because it's not that they've messed up their room or got into something. This is, this is a serious situation. There are eternal consequences that are at stake here. And so, depending on the crime, so to speak, depending on the offense, it should be met with a level of emotion and care to the, the departure, to the error, maybe. And so he's, he's really saying, I can't believe this of you. I am so surprised that... You're doing this. And that's sort of how I feel about some of my friends early on. Some of them that as I begin to walk with Christ and they, they found faith. And they've just slowly turned about and, 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 and made shipwreck as it were. It's just, look, I mean, you were called by God. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, thought of you and he called you to his kingdom. And you are turning away it's just just an unthinkable thought. You're turning away, literally, you're changing places. You're changing your perspective because of what these guys have introduced to you. I'm like, come on, come on. I mean, you can just sense uh, Paul's great concern. You were taught that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus died to provide atonement. That your sins are forgiven in the person of Christ. He died and became what you are so that you could be made alive and become what he is. The great exchange took place and now you're swapping that out for something else. You understood that your salvation was not something you could earn. It's not something you deserved. It's not something you can purchase with money. 
It's something he can only receive as a free gift. It's the free gift of God. And it comes to us not on the basis of works, but on the basis of faith. I believe and therefore I trust. It's not because you made this great effort and made this great sacrifice to become a believer. No, hasn't it? It was just your simple childlike faith. I have nothing. I come to God with empty hands and lift them in faith. I have nothing to offer you, God, but I am a wretched sinner that needs saved. And maybe we, even at that time, and I know I would be uh, in this company, I did not understand the sinfulness of my sin. I didn't, the, the gravity of my fallenness, I was not aware of just how precarious and how dangerous of a situation I was in. I don't think we, we ever really grasped the, the, the seriousness and the, the destructiveness of, of, of sin. Not, not like God does. And that's why he's so jealous over us. He watches over us because he doesn't want us to be injured and hurt by it. This is the gospel of grace. This other gospel. Now, who told you this? Who are these guys that have, you've got to keep the law of Moses. You've got to keep the law in order to be pleasing to God. This is not good news. <laughs> How many of you, by personal experience, have tried to keep your little list? I know God wants me to do this. <laughs> I see the hand. I see the confessions, yes. <laughs> check this, check, check. Oh, can't check that one. Yeah, we just can't seem to keep. Somehow we feel like we have to do right and be right in order for God to bless us. God doesn't bless us because we're good. He doesn't bless us because we are obedient to the point of never making a mistake. He blesses us because of who he is. And as much as he, he it's, it's, it's an amazing thought to think that God hates the sin and the sinful nature in us, but he loves us. And it's hard for us to, to separate that. But, but if you've ever had a sick child... You know, and and let's take it to an extreme maybe. You know, let's say that you had a child that has cancer. And some of you have experienced that. You, you don't, you know, the child may think, I'm unloving now because I've, look at me, I'm, I have disease. And look at my body. Well, how, how do you see that as a parent? I hate that heinous disease. But I so desperately love that child. And that's sort of how God, you, you don't hate, God doesn't hate us when we sin. He, his heart is broken. And then when there's an acknowledgement of the, of the crime or the fallenness, there's such joy in God's heart because he's able to extend grace. He loves to forgive. What does it say? It goes, what goes on in heaven when a sinner repents? Remember? There's more joy in heaven when... One sinner repents. Yeah! <laughs> God really gets jacked up and excited when people repent. And that's true of us in a daily life. When we recognize the wrong, God says, all right, great, let's move on. He doesn't let us wallow in it. You know, it's just, I've used this illustration before, and I know it's sort of, it's kind of gross, but it, it gets the point across. <laughs> you know, little children mess their diapers. What do parents do? Take the diaper off, clean the child, redress, 
and we're going again. We don't sit there and talk about the diaper. That goes in the trash. <laughs> right? We just move on. I mean, so this is how we should look at it. But a lot of times we, we you know, we're, we're there and we just, oh, we're just still thinking about the mess. No. God doesn't want to do that. He's happy now that you've acknowledged it and you're clean it through his word. And so this is the kind of relationship that we have. And to, to move someone into the position where now it's checking all the boxes in order for me to be saved. Oh, I've got to get circumcised. I'm a Gentile, but I must be circumcised if I'm going. I've got to become a Jew. Well, that was true in the old covenant, but now the new covenant, no. So this is what led to Acts 15 in the council. And then we have in Acts 15 the relationship that the Gentile Christians, that'd be you and me, unless somebody else is Jewish in here, right? Right? It, 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 there's only four things that were required of the law for, for the Gentile church. You know, one was don't fornicate. No, 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 no blood, nothing strangled, nothing offered to idols. That's it. Those preachers who want to add law to grace, look what Paul says about that. First of all, this is not good news. This is not a gospel at all. It's a, it, it, those who would trouble you, it gets you into trouble. You start living to God on the basis of your... How should I say, on the basis of your performance. If you have a performance-based relationship with God, you are going to be a very frustrated individual because you will never measure up. You're only doing that because you're relating to Him on the basis of the do's and the don'ts. Now, don't get me wrong in one sense. What we do is important, and what we don't do is important. But most of those things are that that we find difficult are things that are damaging to us. And we learn, as children learn, to put away things that are hurtful. When I was a child, I said and did things, right? But when I became a man, I put away those childish things. And so part of that is a growing process of learning to put off things that feed my flesh, feed that old man that's going to encumber my walk with God. We don't relate to God on the basis of performance, but we relate to him on the basis of grace. And I have found this to be true. When I absolutely have fleshed out and and just lost my cool or done something that was just totally unacceptable, I find God sometimes, in the following days, I have been so blessed by him that I'm just, I'm ashamed that I could have done that because look how good God is being is being to me. Look at this. I find that often that God is, it just reminds me I don't deserve anything. But how could you be so good to me after I've been such a knucklehead, you know? But that's because we relate to God on the basis of grace. Do you guys find this difficult to to not fall into that trap of relating on a performance basis? God help us. It's always on the basis of grace. To think otherwise is what he calls here a perverted gospel. And ministrifo is to corrupt what it was intended. What they were laying on these new believers, these newfound churches, these babes in Christ, so to speak, was 
a corrupted gospel. They were turning around. It was a different. He uses two different words here uh, for another, which is to a different gospel. That is heteros, another, another of a different kind. And then he uses, which is not another, and that word there is alas, of the same kind. So, this is a different gospel altogether. It's not on the same level. It is a perverted message to mix law and grace. He develops that and is quite well in, in his epistle to the Romans. And then, again, we're to question the messengers. It's important that you, and most of you are good, most of you here are, are students of the word. You, you know the Bible. You're learning the Bible. You know enough and have learned enough that, hey, well, just because... You know, I say something. You know, hey, Pastor Greg said this. Well, then that's got to be true. Hey, no. You need to check, out, check it out for yourself. Is, this, is it really what the Scripture is saying? We, you know, this is what Paul actually, see, his ministry expanded into Macedonia. The Bereans were, they, they, they studied the Scriptures to find out what Paul was saying. Was it, was it true or not? They were more noble than the Thessalonians. The Bereans go, hey, let's check this. Wait a minute. We've never heard this before. Where, where, do you, where are you getting this from? What, what is this? And you have, really, you have an obligation as a believer to check it out. You need to be a student of the Word. You need to develop a good working knowledge of the Scriptures. So, you know, look at he says here. We, an angel from heaven. Well, you know, this an angel appeared to me, you know, and, and hey, you know, we've heard that line before, haven't we? The angel Moroni. Appeared to Joseph Smith, you know, with these golden plates, you know. Moroni's baloney, you know. I mean, it's really sad. This is really offensive probably, but it's the truth. It's a pledger. It's, it, there's a lot of plagiarism, uh, plagiarism in, uh, in the book of Mormon. And... I don't have that off the top of my head, but it, um, from what I've read, I've read through the book. It was not a good read to read through the Book of Mormon. But I did it because I told a Mormon that I was working with at the time that I would do that. Cause, and then I would, and he didn't, I didn't think he'd ever read through it, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I asked him about certain scriptures. I said, look, well, that's, that's taken right out of the King James Bible. Look at that right there. You know, I'd show him verse and, you know, reference it. Like, and there were other things, though. And of course, I was just, I suppose, foolish enough to think that I could argue him into the kingdom by destroying, you know, his convictions. But he was born into it, and he was raised in it, so that's what he felt was right. But again, we're to question the messengers, whether it's your pastor or any other Bible. Just because someone's standing behind a pulpit teaching from the Bible doesn't mean they're bringing the truth necessarily. And so it's quite scriptural to question that. Those who, verse 8, you, you think the scripture says in vain that those who become teachers will receive a greater condemnation? I think not. I will receive a greater judgment than a person who's not a teacher who's not teaching the word because of the 
influence that you have over people's lives. A minister should never take that lightly. Every time we come to the pulpit, there should be that fear and trembling. And I do still get nervous. Oh, man, make sure I don't, I don't want to make any mistakes. You know, I want to be accurate. I want to be right. I want to study to show myself approved. You know, though you never get beyond that. You should never get beyond that. Some of the guys that are teaching once a month there should bear witness to that, right? <laughs> but what does he says happens to them? Well, you know, if they're doing this, they're not telling the truth from the pulpit, let them be accursed. Anathema. What does that mean? Accursed. Anathema is the, the Greek word there. It's, it's simply de- being deprived of God's favor and become actually an object of his condemnation. God will judge false prophets. God will judge false teachers. But as James says, you know, we as teachers are not perfect. We, in, because of many words, we offend. We do make mistakes. We're, we can and do make mistakes, unfortunately. And so there are those who might say, well, you know, look, why does God al- allow these false teachers and false prophets to come into the church? You know, with these winds of doctrine that blow through the church, you know, and, and lead people astray. Why does God allow that? Well, first of all, we're in a war, right? And And there's our job, and then there's God's job. Well, part of that job of keeping the church on track is our job, not his. We're to study to show ourselves approved. We're to know this is the line, this is the truth, these are the basic tenets of the faith. We're to keep them. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 13. I know you're, before you guys pass out from laboring all day, I'll give you something to do. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. And this is, this sh- should be, expand your thinking a little bit in regard to why God would allow these kinds of things. Why does he allow false prophets? Why does he allow even false teachers and others to work miracles? Why, does, why would he use a soothsayer like Balaam to pronounce the, the most eloquent and powerful blessings upon the nation of Israel that have, were ever uttered in the Old Testament? unbelievable seven times you look through those things that he uttered towards israel and the blessings i mean it's like wow and this guy was a train wreck he paid for his crimes by the way he did he prostituted his gift and that's really what's behind a lot of these guys they're in it for the money that's why we try not to make a big deal out of money you know, Calvary Chapel, we, you know, we have an agape box. We, you, you, people are adults. They know the word. They can give. They, be, they want to be, if you want to be obedient, that's up to you. You know, you, you learn to give. But that's not why we are in the ministries to collect offerings. You know, you know, bust them in, bust them out. Get them in, get them out. You know, and, and don't forget to give, you know, because we, we need your money, you know. You know I never want to put the church in a position where we are overextended to where we have to beg for money. It's just one of the most egregious things in my heart when you see people asking for money on a regular basis. Just, I, just, I don't think it's wrong to put the need out there. I think that's quite scriptural. I mean, Paul said, look, I'm going you know, to, to the Pentecost. I want to get there. 
or Passover, I want to get there. And all you churches that I've ministered to, you know, the word went out and the, the representatives from each of the church took up a collection in that church and Paul never touched it. He let those guys bring it and they, just the whole group of them went there. Why? What was going on in Jerusalem? Well, there was a famine in the land there in Judea, in that area. And they wanted to bring an offering that would help the churches that were suffering. And so there is need to, uh, to let the needs be known. But to just clamor for money, it is, it's just it's not right. And it, really, I think it gives the Lord a bad name personally. But let's look at here. Why would he allow these guys to operate within the church? Because he said during the church age, it would be wheat and tares. They would mix together. We wouldn't know. Don't, don't rip up. Don't take out the wheat. Because in doing taking out the wheat, you, taking out the weeds, rather, you might take out some of the, of the wheat. And we just let them both grow together until the harvest. And then the angels will come, and they're going to sort it out. That's how Jesus put it. So we would have wheat and tares, that mixture within the church age, and, and that's what's going on here. But this, there's something special about why God allows it. And I think we, we need to have this as a foundational understanding so that we're not offended when these things happen and we see it happen. In verse thir- chapter 13, it says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet... Or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you away from which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. So you see it is firmly upon the church or the believers, let's say, is firmly upon us to deal with those who are aberrant in their doctrine who would lead others astray, to deceive them, to take them away from uh, the Lord and their walk with the Lord. And so this is why Paul has strong emotions here. And that's why you know, he, this, I marvel. I am so blown away that you guys would turn away by these guys. and They're, they're lying to you, you know. So he's very passionate here. Paul's, not only, how did they make this inroad? They begin to accuse Paul. And I think that's part of that offense thing that can take place. Well, you know, Paul's like a weather vane, you know. He just, he's this way, he's that way. You know, he says whatever's convenient. And, and you know, they begin to undermine him and, and, and deride him. And so they, by, by defaming him, they were able to make an inroad into the, to gain audience with these people. So that they could bring this corrupted gospel message to the people. I mean, if you can destroy the messenger, then you can bring your message type of thing. So I think that's, he's warding off these accusations. And that's what he's saying there. You know, in verse 10, do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? 
You know, th- this, is, this, is a, this is a challenge for people in the pulpit. If you are a professional minister, I mean, you chose that profession because, well, you know, I don't have to work hard. Just, you know, get up and speak once a week or whatever and, you know, get a paycheck. You know, he, there got, believe me, there are guys that do that. I chose the ministry because I didn't want to work. That's really sad, but it's true. So they seek the favor of men. Let's just tell the people what they want to hear. Because after all, if we offend people and the church empties and we don't have many, many people coming and they aren't giving their money, we're not going to be able to make the mortgage payment. We're not going to be able to cover the staff salaries. So let's just not rock the boat here. So you begin to compromise and you don't ever say things that could possibly offend. And so... They're seeking to please men. And Jesus had something to say about this. Now, let me say, I think it's very rude and unloving to offend people because you are ministering the word and there are some hard things. But in saying those things, you must apply that, those hard truths to your own life. Yes, the word of God does offend me. I am a sinner. Oh, I don't like to admit that. I have areas of pride that I need to crucify. Yeah. But to just you know project upon people as if you don't have that problem, but they have that problem. That is, if you don't think you're in need of the gospel you preach, you are in big trouble, buddy. You have to, I have to say, you know, regularly embrace that truth. What I preach, I am in desperately need of as well. So I'm not worried about pleasing people. Of course, you guys already know that. And I make mistakes. I get a little emotional sometimes about things probably I shouldn't. So we all have issues so in that regard. But here's what Jesus said. Those who are ripping into him and, and criticizing his ministry, this is John 5.41. John 5.41. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think I accuse you before the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, but you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? And so Jesus gives us a perspective there. If I'm on this horizontal level seeking to please men and, and it be accepted by them, how can, how can I have this vertical relationship where God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So there's the challenge and what it comes down to. I, we don't seek allegiance from others. We seek the applause and praise that comes from God. So faith is the real issue. You know, you're, you pastors come under attack. I mean, I hear some of the stories, you know, some of the brothers and some of the trials they go through and some of the things that people say, oh my goodness, it's just unbelievable. Death threats for trying to do, do what's right. I mean, people just get out of hand. It's hard. It's difficult. But it doesn't change what God has called us to do. 
verses 11 through 17. But I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which was preached by me was not according to man. And so Paul's going to now defend his apostleship that's being under attack. He's going to sort of lay out his calling, you know, how he was uh, called, give his personal testimony, his conversion, and then actually his call to the ministry, and and then especially what happened there in Galatia. I mean, he's, lay, he's revisiting and laying out the truth uh, before those who have who are sort of getting ripped off here. Verse 12, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not confer, immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And so he spent a considerable time there. And up from his testimony, he had a, a, a face-to-face encounter with, with God, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, much like he, you know, the angel of the Lord would appear to certain members uh, in the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, I think this was, uh, you know, Christ came. And you think, wow, really? Yeah, I guess that's a personal take on this. Uh, and why? Because he had a, he was the, I think he sort of was the replacement of Judas. You know, what the enemy meant for evil and taking him out and, try, and, and taking the Lord out through his betrayal, God restored made that number 12 solid again with this man. Well, apostle born out of due time. Not to take anything away from Matthias, you know, that was chosen by Lot. But this, the evidence, I mean, 14, 14 books of the New Testament are credited to Paul, so you can have your opinion. Uh, he was called by God, and I, would, I think Paul's ministry and his writings sort of confirmed that it was not according to man. <laughs> It really was God who appeared to him and spoke to him and instructed him in the gospel of grace and, and how God is able to take people's lives and just absolutely transform them. Isn't it amazing? This guy was a murderer. You know, you run into people and think, oh, well, God could never forgive me. You know, you don't understand the power of his mercy and the power of his blood to take away sin. There's nobody on the face of the earth that has... Beyond forgiveness. God could have for, for, forgiven Adolf Hitler if he would have repented. Now there are people think people like that are beyond. Well, how do you know? Do you understand the eternalness of grace? Do you understand the eternalness of mercy? Do you understand the power of the blood of his sacrifice for all sin? Remember we just hit that Sunday? All sins that sons of men can be forgiven. It's the rejection of what God's offer is that is unforgivable. To reject Christ and attribute his work to the devil and to not receive forgiveness, that is subject, will subject a person to eternal condemnation. And so understand that that's so important. God will often take, you know, as the Bible says, he's able to save to the uttermost. I like what some have said God is able to save to the guttermost, right? It doesn't matter 
God's blood is sufficient for that. But he chose a man that knew the law, knew the Old Testament, and he, he specifically chose Paul for this mission. And so I, I want to bring that home to you, to where you sit. Think about this. It's the same for everyone. This is God's little template. He separated you. You didn't ask to be born. Good thing they didn't vote on us. We None of us would be here, right? <laughs> hey, no, 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 never, right? <laughs> none of us had a choice in that. We didn't ask to be born, but God gave you and God gave me the gift of life. In fact, I think that will be the, one of the first questions that he asks people when they stand before him. What did you do with the gift of life that I gave you? What did you do with it? How did you handle it? That's what he says here. Separated from my mother's womb. God has something specifically in mind for you and still does. He's never changed his mind, nor will he ever change his mind in regard to what he has planned for your life. You've been called through grace. It's not a works. Well, I'm just not smart enough. You're as smart as you need to be, so get over it. I need to have, I should, I should have had my college degree. What, really? Well, you don't have it? Well, then work on it, but until then, you're fine. God has called you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is, and it's on the basis of grace. And what's, what's he need to do in you before that m- mission can be accomplished? Reveal his son in you. That's what life is really all about, is for you and me to come to know the heart and mind of God. That's what this is all about. And so we, we face these tests along the way. Will I continue to exercise loyal faith towards God? He's exercised loyal love towards me. Look what he's done on my behalf. Now he allows trials. He, he lets it happen. Am I going to become angry and get offended through these trials? Or am I going to re- remain Loyal, because the Bible teaches that it is through suffering that more grace abounds. And more grace means a more understanding of the heart and nature of God. So really, this is why Paul could, would welcome tribulation, because he knew that in that weakness, God would show up and do something really special through his life, and he would experience more of God in his life. Isn't that sort of counterintuitive to the way we think? Like, we, we want to avoid pain at all costs. I don't know, you know, if I go down that road, that's, <laughs> that's going to be hard. But God wants me to go down that road. I don't want to pain. You know, we will, we, we'll, and I'm not saying we look for the most painful route to take either. But it, it, you don't have to. It's just going to happen, right? <laughs> Things are going to happen, and it's going to hurt. You're going to have tragedy that happens in our lives. You know, I didn't really like losing three of my it wasn't really an enjoyable experience to lose two brothers and a brother-in-law in a period of 10 months. You know, it wasn't very much fun to, you know, enjoyable to, to know that my brother was laying in the hospital, uh, you know, 500 miles away and I couldn't go see him because of what was going on. Those are those are hurtful things. They're, they're crushing. They're, you know, and, and some of you have been much through a whole lot more than, than, than I have in that regard. But God is faithful. You know, when, as we were singing, you know, we're overwhelmed. I mean, whelmed is bad enough. When you're whelmed, that's bad. But when you're overwhelmed, that's beyond your abilities. Like, ah, it's crushing. It's, it's, it's a very 
very difficult. But it is through those things that God reveals his son, his person in you. And so that's, that's a, a perspective that we need to adapt as believers. So for Paul, it was to preach the gospel. And you and I, it's, it's sort of the same. We are witnesses for what we've received. So this is how Paul ends this section. And then he's going to continue on in uh, the rest of this chapter in his defense of the gospel uh, next week as we pick it up. So we pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we thank you for Paul's heart. And Lord, just to see his growth from his first letter to some of the other letters that he's written. He is just an incredible brother, Lord, that you chose to reveal your grace through his words and through his life to us. Thank you. And so, Father, we pray that you would strengthen our inner man and our faith. We, no matter what we may experience, we don't make shipwreck. We don't go to the left or to the right, but we maintain the course. We keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name.